Well, hello and welcome to the PTUK 5G episode featuring Captain Al. In this week's show, one passenger has his very own 777 all to himself with snacks. An A380 does some fancy flying and a new US airline that chooses the Boeing 757 as its aircraft of choice. In the military news this week, we celebrate the life and accomplishments of the Tuskegee Airman General Charles McGee and the KC-46 is finally mostly operational. And the Imperial War Museum at Duxford presents an impressive display of Spitfires. So joining me this week across the village in the PTUK Master Suite Studios is the king of all things slidy and twisty. It's Matt Smith. Thanks for that. I try and reinvent say. every week, yeah, but I just, you know. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we're coming up on 400 now, aren't we? I mean, you must be running out of new <laughs> things to say. Yeah, I didn't think that, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, we are not, we're not far now. Very, very, very close it indeed. It is, yeah. I think ne- Nev terrified me earlier by saying that there was only like, uh, only a few weeks left to go. Five, five, five weeks, weeks? Four weeks? Four, Something like that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. We probably yeah. ought to find out. I know. So, <laughs> letting us know how many weeks it is until the 400th show it is uh, Neville Bounds. Yeah, it's not long, is it? Gosh, yeah, not long at all. So, 26th of February is the date, and um, uh, Carlos and us will be sending out some uh, information over the weekend. We will. Those who are coming, so that will Ooh. be exciting. So, anyway, great to be back on the show uh, this week. Uh, no flying for me this week, so no tech issues <laughs> and sitting on the gate and Aww. talking to the flight crew, which was very exciting for me. But uh, those 46 passengers that had a connecting flight uh, at Heathrow were a bit cross, but I didn't care because I had the rest <laughs> of the day free. It's all about you, though, Nev. I mean, we've discussed this before. Time. I mean, it's... Yeah. <laughs> Anyone past row one yeah. is... No, no yeah. longer important. Yeah. Spirit no class as well. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, Armando, unfortunately, cannot be with us this week because he's busy doing what Armando does incredibly well, which is flying uh, the amazing Pilatus PC-12. Um, and he's, uh, well, he's sent in some military stories, so don't uh, panic. But uh, hopefully Armando will be back with us next week. Uh, but we have got, as always, a fantastic super sub uh, to join us on the show this week. And it is obviously, the well, the legend that is... And we've managed to drag him away from his extensive program of podcasting on the Plane Safety Podcast. It is, of course, Captain Al. A very good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you happen to be. And how are things with you, Al? Because uh, you, you are back in the skies again. Yeah, yeah, things are very good. Thank you for asking. Yes, I'm back aviating. And uh, furthermore, uh, it's been extremely pleasant. Had quite a busy sort of festive period with flying. Uh, There's a little bit of a lull now, as there quite often is. And looking forward to quite a busy Easter and summer, I would imagine. So uh, you're back on the the 320s, 321s, Noel? That's it. Yep, 320, 321, primarily the Neos. Oh, that's quite nice. And I bet it's nice to be back in the air, Al. It is. It's great. It's mm. fantastic. It's where I should be, really. Mm. Oh, agreed. 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 So um, we've got, uh, well, we've I've got a very big story to talk about this uh, this week, which is why we've got uh, Captain Al with us, because he is all-knowing 
and uh, and he knows all about the subject we're going to talk about this week, which is of course five G. It's been in the news all this week. Has it? Uh, probably we, not in Bungie though. It's probably not, not in Bungie. No, <laughs> we 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 are we're still on uh, four three uh, G here in Bungie, but um, aren't we, Matt? No, we're not. We're absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> Mind you, in some parts of Norfolk and Suffolk, it does feel like you are on 3G. I mean, in some parts of Norfolk and Suffolk, there is no... Yeah, you're lucky if you get an internet signal at all. But, oh, you know, I know. It's just a small, you know, never mind anyway. <laughs> so let's say hello to everyone who's joined us in the chat room this evening. Uh, let's have a look through. Let's go. Richard Adams, hello to you. Mazus, hello to you, Mazus. Early in the chat room, Mazus was this evening. Uh, Sturman is also in there. Hello to you. Nick Codling, uh, Katie is also in the chat room. Hello to you, Katie. She seems to be keeping an eye on us every week, Matt. It's I know. A bit worrying. I know. Uh, Arnie Carlson, hello to you, Arnie, as well. Mash is in there. Greetings to you, Mash. I hope it's um, not as cold as it is here in the UK because it's blooming cold here at the moment. Uh, Dirk S., hello to you as well. Alan White, hello to you. Jonathan Warner's uh, made it into the chat room. He's uh, trying to still trying to find us on his uh, TV at the moment. <laughs> uh, just plug the Ethernet cable in, uh, Mr. Warner. You'll be fine. Uh, Neil Lamborn is also in the chat room this evening. Hello to you. And uh, hello to everyone who's joined us on the show this evening. Don't forget, if you are listening to our dulcet tones via the audio podcast and you want to see what the craziness is that is the chat room and the video podcast uh, take yourselves over to youtube uh plain talking uk just search us on youtube hit don't forget to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already done it tap that subscribe button and also hit the bell icon next door to be notified when we are live and recording shows like we are right now and then you can join us in the chat room and uh well you can interact because let's be honest guys the chat room has some very interesting discussions while we're doing a live show usually about food (laughs) yeah normally about food or beer yeah or both or both uh so uh, time to do some commercial news. Shall we start things off then, guys, with a bit of uh, news? Well, you know, it is it is traditional. <laughs> okay, let's go. <laughs> Hit the button, Matt. So this week's first news story, and we are covering the 5G story. It's been on the news for a little while now. I should say a little while, probably quite some time this uh, last uh, few months. Uh, But we have obviously got uh, Captain Al with us uh, on the show this week to to chat a bit more in depth uh, about what the 5G issues are all about. And uh, it's obviously good that Captain Al is a, a fully qualified commercial airline pilot and a captain as well. And he knows what he's talking about, unlike some news. And my wise. name is Al, which is quite handy as I'm Captain It Al. is, <laughs> yes. And it is obviously, you know, he knows what he's talking about, unlike some of the news feeds that we currently see online at the moment. So, Al, tell us all about what this 5G thing is all about. Well, it's all a bit of a fiasco, really, that it's got to this stage. But anybody who's a bit of a sort of aviation aficionado and av geek will have been hearing all what's going on over the United States with regards to 5G and what it's causing in the way of chaos. And it's been a sort of evolving story over the last few days. And um, quite frankly, I don't know how it's ended up in in this sort of state of affairs. But nonetheless, this is where we are. So I thought I'd uh, volunteer my services 
to talk a little bit about it. I'm going to do a few technical bits, and there are some pictures, not the ones that I've drawn, and some videos <laughs> to watch. So for those of you who don't want to get too technical, there are, will be some pretty things to watch along the way. So first of all, what is a Radalt, and why is it causing so much problem with all of this sort of 5G stuff? Well, when we fly around in an aeroplane, ordinarily... Uh, we use the pressure altimeter to determine our altitude. And it's no more than a barometer. Okay, on modern aircraft, there's some computer bits in there. But fundamentally, it's just a barometer. So it's just measuring a difference in, in air pressure. So you can actually make it read anything you want. And as you travel around the country, the world, air pressure changes. So right now at the moment here in the UK, there's a big high pressure region sat over the UK. So pretty much um, the pressure will be the same in Bungie as it is here in Cheshire. But on a sort of winter's day when there's a big storm blowing through, the pressure can be hugely different between where you are and where I am. And certainly the air pressure will be different in different parts of the world. That's just how meteorology works. I'm sure Dan can probably do a better explanation of that <laughs> than I can. But what's important is that we uh, have some means of determining our altitude or height. So what happens on the pressure altimeter is that when we get above a certain altitude, we all go on to the same setting. It's 1,013 millibars, hectopascals. They are universally interchangeable or 29.92 inches of mercury if you live in the less developed parts of the world. And that basically means that all of our altimeters are all on the same setting. So therefore, if aeroplane A is at 36,000 feet and aeroplane B is at 37,000 feet on those altimeters, and if they've got the same subscale setting, they will be 1,000 feet apart. That's how it works. And that's brilliant because sort of above 30,000 feet, the only thing that we're going to bump into is each other. Um, there aren't any mountains up there. But as we come down lower on large passenger transport aircraft, there are things that we would really like to know how far below us they are. So mountains, all sorts, terrain, obstacles, etc. So quite a number of years ago, people started to use radio beams as a way of determining how far something was away. And that was the creation of radar going back to World War II. And basically a radalt, a radio altimeter, a radar altimeter, it's, it's just the same, just different words, basically, is a device that we have on the aeroplane that sends out a radio wave and waits for it to be reflected back to the aeroplane. And the time that is the difference between it being sent and received is how far away that object is. So the closer it is to the ground, shall we say, the shorter the time it is for that signal to be received. It's pretty simple. Uh, no different, really, to sort of like um, the parking sensors on your car. A bit more sophisticated, but it's a similar sort of principle. So that's all fine and dandy. We've had radalts for quite a number of years, and we use them a lot. They are very, very useful for telling us what's immediately beneath us. They cannot point into what's ahead of us, so they have no way of predicting what's coming next. They're simply measuring what's beneath us. Um, and on most modern sort of passenger airlines, there will be two radalts uh, so that we've got independent sources. And quite often, uh, the radalts will read the identical 
altitude or height. We tend to talk about height when we're using red alts. Um, and that's what you'd expect, because um, if you're over a piece of flat ground, then the time that it takes for that signal to be sent and received by both red alts should be the same. And, you know, unless your aeroplane's bent, then um, you're going to be the same height above the ground. And we use it for all sorts of useful things. So we use it for ground proximity warning system, because quite clearly we don't want to fly into the lumpy bits. So we try to avoid that. Uh, we use it for TCAS um, because we don't necessarily want to descend into the ground uh, to avoid an error, another aeroplane. That's not the greatest of ideas. Um, and we use it for things like the auto thrust and auto throttles if you fly the Boeing product. But mostly, we use it for auto lands. So this is where we are basically landing blind, if you like. So the visibility or the cloud base has deteriorated to such a point that you can't just look out of the window and land. So I thought it might be quite interesting to have a little look at, of a video um, of an aeroplane doing an auto land uh, where we can see basically how murky it is. Uh, so this is 300 meters visibility. Um, we can go down to 75 in the Airbus, but this will give you an idea. Uh, and let me just move my screen so that I can see what's going on. 200. So 200 feet above the ground, that will be your Cat 1 ILS minima. Just starting to see some runway lights, pretty murky. That's 100 feet. And the aeroplane is landing itself. And the 50, 30 that you hear is the, auto call, the audio call out from the radar. It's taking the radar information and enunciating that. So without radarts, you can't do an auto land. It's as simple as that because it is purely a function of the radio altimeter and the ILS signal. So without radarts, no auto land. So that's fine until you get something called interference. Now, radio interference is nothing new to us. Um, if you've ever listened to an AM radio in your car if you, as you've gone under some power lines, you'll have experienced the interference. For those of us who are not quite as old, if you remember FM radio before DAB came along, uh, then as the signal got weaker, you tended to get sort of breakthrough from, from other frequencies. And if you're really, really ancient like me and Nev, we will have you know listened in the midst of the night to Radio Luxembourg and the, the pirate radio stations and it was pretty crackly. So interference um, is nothing new, uh, and it all depends on how strong a signal is and how much it can interfere with your signal. So if you've got a good strength transmitter and a good sort of receiver, then you won't get very much in the way of interference unless something on a very similar frequency to you is transmitting. Um, so... That's where we have the problem. Now, this is nothing new with regards to mobile phones. Uh, when we first had 4G, uh, the frequencies that were used for 4G, uh, funnily enough, interfered with some people's TV reception and certainly interfered with things like radio mics and uh, theatre installations. Um, thanks, Nev, for that info. I was actually unaware of that particular one. I certainly knew about the TV interference. 
So we have now a problem in the United States with 5G. They've just started to introduce 5G very recently. Over here in Europe, we've had it for a little while, um, but we've not had any problems. And that's just down to the fact that we have chosen here in Europe and in lots of other parts of the world frequencies for 5G that are not very close to the frequency that's used for radalts. So with their frequencies being far enough away, no interference. America has decided to go for some frequencies for some of its 5G operators. Now, as I understand it, there are three main 5G operators in the US. There's T-Mobile, and they're out on their own. They've got a frequency band that's quite far away from the Radults, so they're not causing any interference to this, and they're quite happily carrying on with their introduction of 5G. But for AT&T and uh, Verizon, their frequencies that they have been allocated by the US government, the FCC, um, are very close to the RADALT frequencies. And therefore, the problem that they have is that it's causing or potentially causes some interference. So we've got a, a little picture, I think, that shows where the uh, RADALT frequency band is. And so that's the little yellow bit in the middle of this picture. So that's the frequencies that the RADALTs use. And then to the left of that is the allocation of frequencies for Verizon and AT&T's 5G. Now, you might look at that and go, well, there's a gap between them. But you're absolutely right. But it was never intended for there to be uh, users that close to RADALT. And therefore, that little sort of green dotted line that you see each side of the yellow area is the receiver capability of the RADALTs. So you can see that the RADALT receivers are actually capable of receiving the 5G signal, and that's obviously going to cause interference, or at least that's what the concern is. So um, how has this come to be? Well, it's it's kind of simple and complex, really. Um, all governments auction off their frequencies, and obviously, the telephone companies want to be able to get maximum throughput for their 5G service so that they can provide super fast broadband like you've never seen in Bungie, um, you know, to be able to watch 4K videos on your phone. <laughs> um, and where the United States have done things slightly differently is they've gone for uh, higher strength transmitters. And they've also angled the antenna uh, in a slightly different way to how it's been done in Europe. And I, I think we've got a, a little sort of picture showing the, the difference between, say, uh, so this is a sort of comparison between 5G in France and 5G in the US. So I know that the mobile phone companies are slightly challenging this data, but this comes from official sources. This is what the FAA is saying. Uh, the 5G transmitter power in the US is two and a half times higher than that in, in France. Everything's bigger in the US, of course, but in this case, not necessarily better. And uh, here in Europe, we uh, where the 5G cell towers are close to airports, they've actually angled the antennas down slightly to try to stop the sort of signals going upwards because 
we're not really wanting people to use mobile phones uh, per se in the air. So angling them down uh, tries to direct the signal that way. And um, also in France and here in the UK as well, uh, the setting up of these transmitters near airports has been done such that there's quite a lot more in the way of uh, protection area in in time than the US has. So basically, in simple terms, the US has transmitter 5G transmitter towers closer to airports and with more power. Uh, now, this is the problem because you've got stronger transmitters on frequencies that are much closer to RADALT. How it's come to be this close, such that we've ended up with this fiasco, that's probably for the politicians to explain. But I thought I might show you a little video of an Airbus landing in Munich where an autoland fails. So we can roll this video. Again, visibility is not very good. um, And it's a little bit shaky. Um, So... Then coming through a thousand feet. I think this is the right video. It's difficult for me to see, but if this is the go around one, this is the right one. Not much to see out the window, obviously. It's very foggy, I presume. Is that is that what it is? Just like yep, just, fog and yeah. cloud. Yep. What aircraft is this? Is this an A320? I think it's an A320. It's certainly of that family. Yeah. So we've zoomed in on the primary flight display here. This is the correct video. So 300 feet. 300. That little click-click that you hear is the aircraft downgrading. And now the crew have gone around because you can't land off a degraded approach. And whilst I can't categorically say that the reason for this would be a radar issue, it's the most common reason for a low visibility go-around. If the if the Autoland system detects that there's a different height being recorded by the radalts, then it says, I don't know how, how high I am away from the ground, so we, we have to downgrade this. So, um, so the down- the what's the downgrade? Is that, is that essentially it, just an, an abort code almost? Like- yeah, it basically says that this auto land should now not take place. Right, okay. Gosh. Uh, unless you can see out the window and land it for yourself. Right, right. <laughs> Okay, yeah. Basically, the computer is um, saying, I'm out, you're on your own. <laughs> yeah, so basically, I mean, we could do a whole show on, on Autoland, and I don't really want to do that. But basically, as you might imagine, for every, any aeroplane to do an automatic landing, there's a lot of boxes that need to be satisfactorily ticked for it to allow it to happen. Um, and in this particular case, at just around about 100 feet above the ground, which isn't very much, the aeroplane said, I have an issue, and therefore the crew went around. Um and this is the potential problem with regards to 5G interference is that if uh, the, the radarts detect an anomaly, um, then it says, okay, well, we can't do this. Um, 
There is an additional potential threat, and I think this has been pretty much ruled out now, but it was certainly a concern early on in this little fiasco, and that was that if the interference meant that both radarts were interfered with and they both reported the same but incorrect height, then there is a threat that the aeroplane will try to auto-land above the ground. So it will flare and try to land on a runway that isn't there because it's too high. Um, Now, it's not inconceivable that that could happen, but it kind of like goes into the the realms of how, how likely is it? It was deemed to be not very likely, but nonetheless, quite a significant threat. So this is why the FAA got really quite sort of twitchy about this, because obviously there's been lots of dialogue that's gone on in many, many months, but, with the date of implementation for 5G near airports, and obviously this is a, not a, a simultaneous rollout across the entirety of the United States, um, the FAA started to go, well, hang on, you know, we've got concerns about this. So uh, John's very com- kindly done some research for me. So it says here that December 2021 was the original date for activation of the 5G network in the United States. Um, And obviously that was uh, delayed slightly. Going then to uh, the beginning of uh, January, the FAA sent uh, a letter to the two a telecommunications company who have the frequencies closest to Radar, which is Verizon and AT&T, asking them to further delay the implementation. Basically, the FAA wanted to do some further research to see whether this was a just a paper threat or, or a real threat. Um, obviously, um, you know, Verizon and AT&T, you know, they've paid a lot of money for these frequencies. They've got everything ready for switch on. They'll have advertised it. So this is a sort of a commercial problem for them. Uh, Running then into January the 7th of this year, the FAA uh, released a list of uh, 50 airports with 5G buffers. Um, And this was basically the FAA saying, look, we have not, you know, fully evaluated the the risk here. And we're, you know, saying to you that if you turn on 5G when you say that you are, and we now have to ground aircraft because we can't allow aircraft to perform auto lands with the threat of interference. Now, everyone's tended to get quite focused on auto lands, but as I said to you at the beginning of this fairly lengthy spiel, which I apologize for, um, it's not just auto lands. The, the RADALT is used for ground proximity warning, TCAS. It's used for uh, auto thrust. It's used for auto throttles. So if you cast your mind back to uh, the Turkish Airlines 737 crash in Amsterdam quite a number of years ago, that was the result of faulty auto throttles as the result of erroneous radar information. So basically the radar reported to the auto throttles that it was closer to the ground than the, the aeroplane actually was, and it just closed the throttles. The crew didn't recognize, and the aeroplane crashed. So it's not just autolands that are affected by this. Um, and as we've now progressed through this day by day, the FAA have been working with the aircraft manufacturers and the radar manufacturers and saying, hey, guys, what's your view on this? Is it actually going to be a problem? And as it stands at this moment in time, um, and I'm just going to double-check the FAA website, Uh, just to see if they've done an update for today, because uh, when I looked at the start of the show, uh, there hadn't been an update for today. No, so they're still 
basically saying that as of this moment in time, uh, uh, basically only the following aircraft can perform low visibility landings. That's the Boeing 717, the 737, the 747, 75, 76, 77, 78, the MD-10 and 11, the Airbus A300, 310, 319, 320, 330, 340, 350, 380, and some Embraer 170s and 190s. So the majority of commercial aircraft have been cleared, about 78%, but that's an awful lot of regional jets that cannot do Category 2, Category 3 landings at the moment. So, you know, we're still days into this. I believe that the uh, 5G operators have delayed their implementation again for another few days. Uh, well, yes, and uh, and there is a further issue in that uh, private jets, so corporate jets, and helicopters are equally affected, and in fact, helicopters even more so, because a lot of helicopters use radars for you know emergency work, like landing on the roofs of hospitals and so forth. Um, so they're completely prohibited from, from using their radars at the moment until the FAA goes through each and every aircraft type with the, the manufacturer and the radar manufacturer to get basically the approval to say, yeah, yeah, we're happy that 5G doesn't interfere. So it, it's, it's quite a farcical sort of situation mm-hmm. and how it's come to be, you know, at this sort of level, if you like. Um, frankly, I... I, I I struggle to see how you know uh, our country, such as the United States, um, has kind of let it go to the very last minute. Um, but I mean, this is exactly where we're at. I mean, and, there is uh, this sort of strong argument, of course, because presumably there were discussions of this nature right here in the UK with the CAA before 5G was released and all that kind of thing. Yes. Uh, part of me seems like, well, surely those same conversations were taking place in the States at the same time, surely. I mean, that sort of... Well, you would you'd have thought so, but I mean, uh, you know, uh, Tim Clark, who's the CEO of Emirates, uh, he said on CNN... We were not aware of this until Tuesday morning to the extent it was going to compromise the safety of operation of our aircraft and just about every other 777 operator to and from the United States and within the United States. Wow. So no, on that basis, we took the decision late last night to suspend all our services until we had clarity. So this is like, you know, a couple of days before, um, you know, I, I, you know, and he goes on to say, I I need to be as candid as I normally am, and I say this is one of the most delinquent, utterly irresponsible issues or subjects, call it what you like, that I've seen in my aviation career. Wow. <laughs> it's no, pretty scathing, I th- think. That's and quite rightly that's, so. Yeah, a, a very very much a, a damning in, in indictment then, really. Now, Nev, you, you, you had a couple of questions. Yeah, I was just going to say to Al, firstly, Al, that's the best description I've ever heard of the whole thing. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you. Sorry it was a bit lengthy, but I thought, well, no. there's no point in just scratching the surface. Well, Let's I, I, I listen to and um, watch some of the mainstream media, and they go, oh, well, it only affects wide-body jets. Really? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so wow. we'll cross over that. But the point you made about um, a number of boxes that have to be ticked before an aircraft is able to 
carry out an auto land. It's not just the aircraft, of course, it's the equipment on the ground and it's the crew themselves, isn't it? That Absolutely. That there are, yeah, so, so there's the crew certification and that is an uh, airline-specific authorization. So in my particular airline at Acme Pink, I am authorised as the captain to do a no-decision height Cat 3B down to an RVR of 75 metres. Now, to put 75 metres into context, and we can talk about RVRs if you like, but basically uh, it's visibility of around about 30 to 40 metres, if that. So it's not much more than beyond the end of the nose of the aeroplane. And in fact, when you do land in 75 metres, landing the aeroplane, which is, of course, done automatically is not the problem it is then taxing the airplane because you cannot see more than one light ahead it's wow. as simple as that um, and you will struggle to see the wingtips so it is densest of dense fog okay um, so the crew have to be qualified um, and that's myself and the first officer although in my airline and in most airlines the actual flying of an auto land will be done by the captain. The first officer is basically there to monitor and they are programmed, if you like, to go around. So they're go around minded. So they are watching everything like a hawk. And if they detect any anomaly, they will call go around and the action then is carried out by the captain. So when we talk about no decision height, basically there is no decision to be made. So long as the computer is happy to land the aeroplane, it will land the aeroplane on the runway, on the centre line, and it will lower the nose, it will close the thrust levers, um, with the order brakes armed, it will brake, and all, all you have to do is basically to put the aircraft into reverse thrust to help it slow down, and ultimately it will track the runway centre line all the way down until you stop. Now, ideally, you don't want to stop. You want to disconnect the autopilot and the auto brakes, and then very slowly and carefully taxi off the runway. So, yep, there are all sorts of things. Now, obviously, the airport has to be capable. You can't do an auto land everywhere. So the airport has to have all of the infrastructure to allow auto lands. So rather than just buying the off-the-shelf ILS system, you have to have the CAT3 or CAT2 system. And with that comes additional lighting. You have to have a backup generator. There's a lot of stuff. It's, it's a multi-million multi pound purchase. So your average sort of common or garden regional airport probably won't have that capability, but your large international hubs will. The other thing I was going to say to, is, uh, to you is that uh, a long time ago when you were allowed on the jump seat, uh, I landed uh, in a British Midlands 737 uh, into East Midlands Airport where the crew were actually carrying out uh, a, a qualifying auto land, even though the weather was perfectly OK outside. And this is to validate the crew and the aircraft, isn't it? Yeah. So we could get quite complex and legal in this, but basically the airline has to demonstrate to the regulator that it basically meets all of the criteria to perform these autolands when necessary. So the way that you do that is you have to demonstrate that a certain percentage of your autolands, and it's a very, very high one, um, will be satisfactorily. And the only way to present that data is to do routine practice ones. So you'll do some in the sim, 
And then also, just for your own professional development, you will do practice ones, like you say, in good weather conditions because there are certain calls that have to be made. There are certain processes that you have to go through. Um, so you just don't sort of kind of throw the aeroplane into the mire and there you go, say, sort that out, matey. Um, so, yeah, we, we do practice them quite often in good weather conditions. Um, over the last few sort of weeks and months, I've had to do quite a lot of real ones because we've, we're in that kind of wintry, murky weather where you get low cloud or, you know, it's misty and foggy. And uh, we've certainly seen plenty of that in the UK over the last few weeks. So, yeah, you do get practice, but we also have to practice them in good weather so that you're absolutely on the money for when you have to do it for real because there is no real margin for error. Okay, we've got some uh, questions from the chat room. We're going to pop them up on screen and go through them, if that's okay with you, Al. So the first one is from Neil. He's saying, is it coincidence that we avoided the 5G frequencies, or or was it actually good planning as far as the UK is concerned, or Europe, I should say? Truthfully, I don't know the answer to that. Um, I would would imagine that um, there is a European-wide sort of... uh, frequency harmonization team if you like although each country will operate individually because obviously countries in europe you know are are fairly close to each other but whether there was a deliberate strategy to avoid this particular area of the bandwidth truthfully i don't know i would like to think yes but maybe it's just good fortune (laughs) a happy accident as they say Uh, dirk s says uh, doesn't regular radar interfere with the altimeters no, completely different um, frequencies used. Um, the only thing that we tend to see, and this has got nothing to do with radars, is with our weather radar, um, sometimes we can see a nice big spike on the weather radar display if we've been interrogated by a military aircraft who tend to use uh, their onboard radar at similar frequencies to weather radar. But no, uh, radar doesn't interfere with the, the radars. Uh, Different people will recall them different things. Some people call them radio altimeters. Other people call them radar altimeters. They are the same thing. It's just a a different name. Wow. Okay. One last one from uh, Richard Adams, and then we sort of covered it, but we'll just dot the I's and cross the T's on this. Uh, Why didn't the USA use the same frequencies for 5G as most of Europe? Well, historically, uh, the United States have used different frequency bands for products to other parts of the world. So uh, going back to uh, the days of citizen band radio, CB radios, they use completely different uh, frequencies for that. And indeed, uh, they uh, used AM, uh, whereas we used FM here. Um, sort of walkie-talkies, they've operated on different frequencies. Cordless telephones, you know, before we had mobile phones, they did. It just seems to be that they've had a different frequency planning strategy. Because um, I remember for, quite often when I've been in the States as well that my mobile phone hasn't worked in the States, and you know, that, certainly in the older days um, where yes. you didn't have quite the, the you know the, the the technology, I suppose, in these devices. Um, you know, yeah. you had to buy the, the equivalent of a burner phone, didn't you, when you arrived in the well, States, it, it, just yeah. so that you could stay in touch. You know, 
<laughs> I mean, we don't need to, you know, introduce, you know, the, the behaviours of the average bungie person. No, no, okay, the, okay, the right, sorry, my, my, my bad. Uh, sorry. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> to, to, but, I, I've shared, shared too much information, clearly. Uh, yeah, Carlos, but, dig, yeah, please dig me out of this hole. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, um, uh, up until I think it was 3G technology, yeah. fundamentally, you were very, very it was very difficult to use a European phone in the United States, as yeah. simple as that, because it's just completely different technology. Yep, agreed. Okay. Come yeah, on. just just finishing, just one thing, I, I was I was cast my mind back, I can't remember which episode it was in, but I know it was, I mean, John will probably be able to tell us, but do you remember, um, was it l- early last year, um, Garmin released that Autoland system, which can be fitted into most GA aircraft? Yes, um, obviously, that's gonna you know that that can be fitted. I know it's fitted in the Honda Jet, the Vision Jet had that fitted in, but it can also be fitted into lots of other GA aircraft, which are heavily used in the US. So this yes. could be a could be another issue. It, yeah, I um, mean we've got to sort of take this down the line, so that there will be lots of lots of of issues, if you like, but. The priority at the moment, rightly or wrongly, has been sort of commercial airliners um, because of the you know tens of thousands of people who are going to be inconvenienced. Um, I very sort of quickly sort of you know introduced the fact that helicopters are going to be uh, significantly affected. Mm. But of course, you know, if it's one of our loved ones in the air ambulance, um, you know that's 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 very pertinent to us all. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, now I don't know the exact uh, makeup of the 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 Garmin GA sort of you know emergency automatic landing thing. I don't know mm. whether that how, how exactly that works. But um, yeah, there's there's no doubt that there will be lots of repercussions to this. And uh, I don't know exactly how it's going to be worked out. The obviously one of the, the ways that it could be done would be to have some sort of filter on the aircraft radar system. But nothing can be changed on an aircraft quickly. It has to go through a whole approvals process. And of course, just for the avoidance of doubt, this just isn't affecting you know American registered aircraft. If you've got you know a Boeing or an Airbus and you're trying to fly into the United mm. States, you are affected. It doesn't matter whether you're an American carrier or not. This is a, you know, an equipment thing. Well, of course, so, it, and because, and again, like the statement from Emirates sort of clarifies that, doesn't it? It's yes. essentially, it, they're not having any problem in Europe, but they're very concerned about the potential impact that these frequencies could have when they arrive. Because I, I think it was um, only certain airports, if I remember correctly, that they'd chosen to, to continue flying into off the back of it, I believe. That's right, because there are some airports that have these 5G installations and there are others that haven't got them yet. They will be down the line at some point. Um, But if there was no intention to turn 5G on, let's just say, uh, I'll just pick somewhere at random. I don't know the exact specifics, but just say Denver. Um, So if there was no 5G plan for Denver until March, then quite clearly there's no threat there. But um, but you know, for say Dallas, if if five G was due to be turned on this week at Dallas, then there is a paper threat, uh, and no one wants to explore as to whether this threat is a theoretical <laughs> threat or a or real, real threat. Yeah, indeed. Um, anyway, there's, there's quite a good adage in aviation that we'll finish off on, and that is that if there's a doubt, there's no doubt. Agreed. 
absolutely. Uh, and well, uh, we, we're going to we're going to move on. Uh, I, I should just say, uh, Carlos, I'm going to need help uh, with you on this one. We've had a picture while that's been going on from Nick Codling. Uh, now uh, he's re- this is his birthday present uh, that he's just received. <laughs> I wondered if you could uh, sort of explain uh, uh, what he is oh, in possession of for those who are listening on the audio version. I mean, he I, seems I, very I, pleased about it. Certainly, I'm going to go. He appears to have part of a ship. Yeah, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's a porthole. Yeah, that's what he's. <laughs> I'll. I'm going to go with seven four window. Oh, are you uh, section? Yeah. Okay. So I've got I've got a triple seven one here, and it's slightly more the one behind you. Yeah. 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 But, okay. All right. Well, they're all in the scrapyards these days, aren't they? All the Boeing's, <laughs> so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, Plane reclaimers website at uh, the moment. All Airbus. <clears throat> anyway, moving on okay. uh, to the right, next. Well, that's got unexpectedly story. personal. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, hopefully, Nick will let us know what exactly it is in a moment. I know, but, but yeah. I, and I agree. Before we move on, I agree with everyone in the chat room who's 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 commented since Al's um, been talking yeah. about this. That uh, definitely, Al, massive thanks to Very everyone, including so. all the listeners, uh, for that. And uh, quite rightly, Nev says that, that uh, we hope the mainstream news media outlets pick up on this uh, show tonight and yeah. uh, actually come up with some relevant yeah. information. Perhaps we should send it to them as a gentle yeah. reminder about yeah. how it should how it sh- how they should be talking about it. Anyway, so come on. next story. Uh, this one is uh, been big news this week. Very big news this week. It's been on Sky News. Uh, LinkedIn, this has come from as well. GuinnessWorldRecords.com and Reuters.com and uh, I, was, I was following her this week actually on Flight Radar 24 and this is Zara Rutherford British-Belgian teenager becoming the youngest woman to fly solo around the world so a British Belgian teenager has become the youngest woman to fly solo around the world Zara Rutherford 19 landed her aircraft in Belgium 155 days after departing on the 31,700 mile uh, five month journey uh, cheers and applause were heard as she landed at Kotrick Wiglet I'm sure that Al will probably pronounce that airport correctly Kotrick Weevil again I'm oh, just enjoying you trying to murder yeah, thanks, it. Yeah, thanks, Al. <laughs> thanks, Al, yeah. Uh, draped in UK and Belgian flags, she told his reporters that uh, it's really, uh, just really crazy, she said. I haven't quite processed it, she said. Her flight in a shark microlight plane was supposed to take three months, but because of bad weather and visa issues, oh, blimey, uh, kept her grounded, sometimes for weeks on end, extending her adventure by about two months. Rutherford covered 41 nations and five continents, leaving on the 18th of August. She had to steer clear of California wildfires, deal with bitter temperatures over Russia, and narrowly avoided North Korean airspace. Probably a good idea right now. It wouldn't do again, uh, she confessed after, or she wouldn't do it again, she confessed after the penultimate leg on Wednesday. Uh, She said there's been amazing moments, but there's been moments where she had feared for her life, she added. Both of her parents are pilots, and she started flying when she was 14 after spending years in small planes. Rutherford said flying over New York and an active volcano in Iceland were her favourite moments. To fulfil the the round-the-world criteria, she touched two opposite points on the globe, Jambi in Indonesia and Tamako in Colombia. Uh, she beat the record held by 30-year-old Afghan-born American Shice 
uh, Shasterwise uh, since 2017, and Rutherford gained her pilot's license in 2020 and now wants to study engineering at a university in September. Uh, the 19-year-old who dreamed of being an astronaut hopes her achievement will encourage women in aviation, science and technology. So in an article posted to LinkedIn the morning before Zara landed from the last leg of her journey, previous record holder being uh, Shaster Wise uh, said that she's feeling so euthor- uh, euphoric this morning uh, to know that 19-year-old Zara Rothwood will soon become the youngest woman to fly Zolo around the world. Uh, Zara will take over the record that she set in 2017 and the fact that I get to share this incredible experience with one more woman in this world leaves her so proud and ecstatic, she said. Uh, I'm so inspired and proud of Zara, woman to woman, aviator to aviator. It is her uh, honour to pass down the torch to her. And there's a picture there. Matt has popped up on the screen for you all to see. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, Both of them, because and it was wonderful to because we've been very lucky because we we got the opportunity to speak to uh, she she didn't we? It was a a really good uh, really good interview. Uh, Shasta, my apologies, I keep yeah. getting that wrong. Uh, that's very embarrassing. Uh, but yeah, really good, uh, really good because uh, we did with our around the world special, didn't we? We did, yeah, yeah. with with yeah. Travis as well. So uh, uh, yeah, yeah, look that up on YouTube if you want to uh, find out all about her story. Yeah, she was yeah. actually um, broadcasting her her um, you know her her track mm. on uh, her website during yeah. the flight and uh, like i said she was showing up on flight radar and yeah. other uh, tracking apps as well and don't forget because shasta also has her own podcast make sure you look up that as well definitely worth a listen and it's talking about uh, sort of inspirational people in the in in the aviation industry that have inspired her really exactly good. yeah so matt Next story. Oh. Why, why is Ryan Just there? before we go on to oh, the next story, on. I just wanted oh. to add my congratulations. Oh, absolutely. Um, this is no mean feat. I know that it's been done kind of quite regularly now, if you excuse mm. the expression. Um, but these are fantastic young people mm. doing something that is incredibly difficult to do. I know sort of aircraft now are, you know, a, a lot more sort of advanced than they were, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. But nonetheless, this is a massive achievement. And any of us who does any sort of GA flying, and I know there are some people in the chat room, will realise that just getting from, you know, the east to the west or the north to the south yeah. of this country is a challenge, let alone, go, let alone going around the world. So, so well done to everybody who's done this or has attempted to do it. And, of course, I remember from um, from the chat we had with uh, Shasta, it was uh, it was Avgas was the big concern it's like you know you've, you've got to make sure you've got the right fuel available for you in these various remote remote locations i mean it's just you know that that was her the, challenge was yeah was the, dealing the planning with the is, is phenomenal yeah. you know availability fuel visas overflight permissions yeah. the list just goes on <laughs> you know covid testing you know we're, yeah. we're, we're all sort of fed up of the c word now but you know the practicalities of you know mm. this and and thinking about well okay if the if the weather's not very good here i might need to divert to xyz yeah. this is a monumental challenge you know and the, there are a lot of background staff who need a pat on the back as well but absolutely you know just the the fortitude and the the mental conviction of of you know these young people it's just brilliant yeah 
Congratulations indeed. Okay, we'll move on to the next story. Uh, This is uh, all about Ryanair. It's story three for a change. Uh, Spain fines Ryanair €24,000 for making passengers pay for hand luggage. Now, this is a really interesting story, this one, and I'll explain why uh, later on. But uh, from Spanish News Today and also the Ryanair website as well, authorities in the Balearic Islands, which include Menorca, Mallorca and Ibiza, have imposed a fine of €24,000 on Ryanair for charging passengers to bring hand luggage into the cabin. Uh, Since 2018, the airline has changed its policy on free hand luggage and started to apply an extra charge to be able to take a bag on board their planes. Uh, The only passengers exempt from this charge are those who have bought their ticket with the priority boarding fare for an additional price. Everyone else is charged for any luggage that they take on board that exceeds 25 centimetres by 20 centimetres by 40 centimetres. The FACUA Consumers in Action organisation already launched complaints against this practice in November 2019 for being abusive towards air- airline passengers and the Balearic Dicto- uh, Directorate General for Consumer Affairs uh, opened a dis- dis- disciplinary case against the Irish low-cost airline back in March 2021, stating that charging for cabin baggage could be an infringement of consumer regulations. This is an abusive practice, says the uh, Directorate General, pointing out that several court rulings have ruled that hand luggage is not considered baggage and that airlines are obliged to allow passengers to put it in the cabin free of charge. In light of this, they have therefore decided to impose on Ryanair the maximum fine possible of €24,000. Ryanair may still lodge an administrative appeal in the courts against this now decision. Now, the reason why I find this quite interesting for me personally uh, is that... Um, what what i what i find strange about this is that this isn't the only airline that does this that flies these particular routes i'll use easyjet Aer Lingus, uh and even viewling as an example they all have very similar policies does this, so does that mean these uh, other people are going to um you know uh, are they about to also be a pro- you know basically uh, fined for doing something similar perhaps you might have some comments on this al it's an interesting one, and it, the the difficulty is: what do we want as passengers? Do we want to be able to travel travel cheaply and frequently with airlines, and therefore, you know, the ability to say just turn up with no baggage or just hand baggage or with a giant suitcase, and and how do airlines go about charging for that? So, you know, different airlines have taken different strategies on this, and you've probably covered it on the news stories that airlines have changed their policy. Some change it quite frequently. Others, you know, have just stuck to their policy. Um, I suppose ultimately it's it's down to, um, you know, the authorities and the Balearics to decide whether they want to, you know, take on everybody in in this matter. Um, You know... I don't know. There's two sides to this one, but we'll have to let this one play out. But ultimately, you know, do we end up with a situation where airfares go up just mm. because of a court ruling? Is that is that 
counterproductive. I don't know. I guess, I mean, we're the first ones to sort of like look for, you know, we essentially look for a story about Ryanair every single week. Yes. Um, but I, the reason why I'm sort of querying it almost is I feel like they're almost being they're almost being per- persecuted directly if you see what i mean just because you know that well they're the they're the only people who've so far hit the headlines for a you know a practice that let's be honest a lot of other airlines also do yes absolutely and i've always been an exponent of the idea of only start a fight with someone if you're prepared to lose that fight yeah. now will the you know the the balearic islands suffer if ryanair suddenly said well we're not flying here anymore I mean, I, I would argue possibly yes, because of the volume yes. of traffic that's that's going into that airport from Ryanair alone. Indeed. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's a €24,000 fine. It, it's, mm. it's nothing, really. It's, you know, it's small fry in the financial side of things. So what will, you know, the Director General do if Ryanair said, well, we're not paying? <laughs> what, what's your next move? Yeah. You know, are you going to ban us from the islands? Yeah, true, true. I, well, so I guess with that in mind, perhaps there is more on this story to follow, shall we say? I think there probably is. Yeah, fair enough. So, Nev, you've got the next story, and it's uh, a situation that I'm sure you'd love to be in. Yes, we'll be talking about uh, uh, passenger capacity and uh, how we're filling the aircrafts these days. Well, on the dailystar.co.uk and also on TikTok. Dot com. Uh, it says that uh, is this the first time TikTok has got mentioned on the show? Or, <laughs> it, <yeah>. it is. <laughs> okay, so we're, we're we're reaching out to the youth. Then we're getting Absolutely. down with it, are we? Yeah, you have to down down. Yeah, using you vernacular. Can forget your Insta. That's yeah. that's yesterday. Yeah, down with the kids yeah. or something like that. Yeah, lol is all I'm saying to that. Moving on. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yolo right. stuff like that. Yeah. Well, a student was gobsmacked <laughs> to discover that he was the only person on board an eight-hour British Airways flight from London to Orlando, uh, and he had an absolute blast. Uh, if just a point of order here, if you can fly from London to Orlando <laughs> in eight hours, then you're doing quite well. I'm right. Uh, Kai Forsyth is from Derby, but goes to college in the US and was returning back to the States when he had the weirdest experience of flying in a plane, he said, carrying no passengers except himself and the crew. Filming for his TikTok channel on Monday, January the 10th, uh, he pans around to show aisle after aisle of empty seats and explains the cabin crew said I was the only person on board the flight. He then decides to put the armrests down and get comfy with the makeshift bed across four empty seats. (laughs) Sorry, why wasn't he in first class? Uh, or business class at least uh it was eight hours so i set up a bed literally the comfiest i've ever been on a plane he writes on the screen kai also show showed how he was given a wholesale box full of walker's shortbread biscuits since that there was nobody else to cater for they literally gave me all the snacks and unlimited food he writes whilst making the viewers' mouths water with jealousy. Uh, He said he couldn't be upgraded to business or first class, which was the only downside to his enjoyable trip. (laughs) Um, So I wonder how long they took to to board the aircraft. Was it the usual 45 minutes, do you think? Or uh, (laughs) were they able to uh, cut that down a bit? Interesting. I mean, right, yes. I mean, It's quite an interesting one, this one. I did a flight just recently, which was uh, an end-of-a-series flight. So basically, there is, there's no return leg, if you like. And we had uh, three passengers on it. 
So I thought, right, well, rather than do a PA from the flight deck, I'll just go and, you know, meet and greet them, you know, face to face. So they're all sat in the in the middle of the aircraft in the extra legroom seat. So I just went and sat with them and, you know, just welcomed them aboard and, you know, asked them if they had any safety questions or anything like that. And they all thought it was brilliant. They all thought they were VIPs. Yeah, oh, absolutely. That's nice. I mean, uh, w- one question I-, I do have, though, Nev, uh, I mean, I-, I appreciate you may not know, you-, you probably got a better idea of answering this than me, but they presumably they do have a, like a like a business class part on that particular aircraft? Uh, on a 777, yes, most certainly, and probably a first class section as, yeah. as well. Um, but yeah. uh, what is more likely is that obviously they'll they'll know what they'll know what the load factor is right uh, in terms of giving the pilots and the crew the information. But of course, they probably won't have catered for that uh, as he only bought a cheap ticket. So um, there you go. Uh, absolutely. The other thing is that um, knowing full well that there was only one passenger in economy. Uh, they might not have put extra crew on for business and first those cabins may effectively have been closed so they could operate with uh, minimum crew that sort of thing especially if it was the same for the return so there's all sorts of of reasons and you know i, I think the, the lad should be happy he's got his walker shortbread on mass there you go <laughs> <laughs> neil I mean, uh... in the chat room says he'd be after the jump seat uh, well, yes, true, but you're not allowed there anymore, are you? Of course, no. it's uh, uh, that that is the trouble with these things, isn't it? You're, you're the, the, the least um, populated aircraft I've been on of a commercial type was um, <laughs> a three one nine going from London to Edinburgh just after the the first part of the pandemic had finished, and there was just seven of us on the aircraft. I think. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, Richard Adams was saying in the chat room there, by the way, that uh, uh, it was, uh, a, you know, it'd be difficult to sort of like not watch the safety talk. Hard to hide from that one. Mm, <laughs> Which yes. I kind of like. Uh, now I'm just going to very briefly. Wouldn't normally do this, but I'm just going to go briefly back to the story. We've been sent uh, by an anonymous person a a photograph uh, talking about the Ryanair story, which I'm going to share with you. It says. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't make me tap the side your flight costs 10 pound obviously we're charging you for a bag and that's from ryanair's ryanair's own instagram account just uh, for your your delectation and delight well, to ryanair's <laughs> you know credit that they've never tried to dress themselves no, no anything else have no. they no, they absolutely haven't. Um, yeah, you know, that that's the thing, isn't it? While I was, you know, talking about that, it's just like, it's fair enough. If you're going to go after Ryanair, that's fine. But you, you've got to play fair. You've got to go after everyone else as well, because it just doesn't seem fair, in my honest opinion. But there we go. Never mind. Yeah. So, Al, we've got a special Airbus story for you next. Uh, we have indeed. And this comes from businesstraveller.com. And it says, Emirates has done it again. And this is a good news story for for a change with regards to to Emirates. Like the carrier's previous ad, the latest one also features skydiver Nicole Smith-Ludwig. But on this occasion, an Emirates A380 circles Dubai's Burj Khalifa. Nicole Smith-Ludwig is filmed standing at the pinnacle of the world's tallest building, which in turn is circled by a special liveried A380 promoting Expo 2020 Dubai. Sir Tim Clark, who I mentioned earlier, president of Emirates, says, Now at the halfway mark of its six-month run, the excitement and momentum around Expo 2020 remains strong. The ad in question was filmed on October 13th and 14th of last year, 
and appeared as though it had been shot effortlessly. Having worked in TV commercials in the past, I can tell you that there is nothing effortless <laughs> about making a TV commercial. No. Anyway, moving on. In truth, producing the short ad involved in-depth planning and meticulous execution, as this behind-the-scenes uh, footage shows. The fly-past involved the A380 flying at 2,700 feet, the exact height of Burj Khalifa. The average cruising speed of a 380 is 480 knots. Well, I question that, but we'll ignore that for the time being. <laughs> um, but to make the video, it was flying at just 145 knots. In total, the 380 circled the Burj Khalifa 11 times for the right selection of shots. Dubai airspace was blocked during the filming, which was conducted outside of peak hours for air traffic control. The, uh, the Expo 2020 Dubai runs until March 31st this year. Now, I have to say that not any amount of money would get me to do this. <laughs> Which bit? That's like being on top of the Burj. I'm quite happy to fly the 380, but you would not get me up there. Um, What about you guys? What what are the chances? Well, we've done a crowdfunding, and um, please just say we're going to get Matt to uh, to do this. Uh, Do you know, I nearly said a really bad word then. Are we hackers like is what I, I nearly didn't Sending say. Sending Matt to base <laughs> jump off the verge is really yes. not fair, is it? Yeah, what did I do to upset you? Hey, we, you know the I mean, list. I thought list it was want pretty this. evil when you were going to put him back on a seven five seven. Absolutely, yeah, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> Yeah, the flight radar twenty four track which just popped up on on screen. I mean, that's quite quite the mess, Al. I think. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, some, I mean, that's some good flying. It, it is some good flying. Um, the interesting bit is that obviously they couldn't fly that close to the Burj because the turbulence coming off the jet mm. could potentially blow her off the top. Which you know, you know, you don't want people blown off the top of Burj. It's not good publicity. No, um, but. Um, they had to make it look as if it was close. And, of course, that's where some clever lens technology comes in to, uh, to make it look as if they're really, they're really, really close. They're really close, yeah, absolutely. Indeed. There yeah, we Richard, go. Adam, Richard Adam says, bet Steph would have undercut her right. Yeah, I can, <laughs> I, I can I, honestly say, I yeah. bet Dr. Steph would yeah. totally, 100% have been up for that. Yeah. And then she would have jumped off. At yeah, end. with a parachute. Yeah, with a parachute. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, not no di- yeah. no disagreements there. No. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Has well, Al ever done anything like this? The only thing I've done that is remotely similar to this is when I used to work for British Regional Airlines, uh, which was a British Airways franchise carrier. We introduced the Embraer One Four Five to Cardiff. And to do that, we did a series of low flybys and took VIPs and the media on a little bit of a jolly. Oh, wow. And that was great fun, if slightly challenging. So we we didn't fly around any buildings particularly, but we did uh, have all the VIPs and the media on board. Uh, We took them down to the Gower Peninsula, flew them around Swansea Bay, and then we did a few fairly low flybys of Cardiff Airport and from that side of things, we practice that in the sim because obviously things like the ground proximity warning system gets very upset when you start to fly quite low towards an airport with the landing gear up. Um, so we, we had to do that. And also, it's not usual to fly, um, you know, passenger transport aircraft quite low over the sea in the bay. But we did that. 
uh, all legal, all approved by the CAA. Uh, but it was quite exciting, good fun to do. So that's probably the closest that I've got to anything of that sort of uh, nature. Wow. So, so I'm just looking in the chat room at Jonathan Warner's uh, comment that he, even he would stand uh, up there in a skirt. Okay, well, let's get that crowdfunding going. I then. think, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I think that's, I th- that's clearly where the money needs to be going, in my honest opinion. Oh, but there we go. And what we'll brilliant. do, what we'll do is we'll tell Jonathan that we're going to get a series of military aircraft to fly oh, around yeah. him. Oh, and then absolutely. just at the last minute, we'll replace them with airliners. Right, okay. Yes. <laughs> Once he's all strapped in there and can't get yeah. off. We'll get Armando to fly around him with an Osprey, just, you know, to make it worth, worth his while. Oh, he'd know. love, God, he'd love that. <laughs> there we go. So, <sighs> next story. This one comes to us from thepointsguy.com. And another new airline. I mean, let's be honest, we've had 400,000 new airlines start in the last few months. So, let's have another one. This one Maybe is... Maybe a uh, slight exaggeration there. Okay, I'll one. <laughs> a new US airline, Northern Pacific Airways unveils its first Boeing 757 and big ambitions. So America's newest airline is one step closer to becoming a reality. Anchorage-based Northern Pacific Airways on Tuesday this week revealed its livery on its first Boeing 757-200 at the hangar in San Bernardino, California. The most important thing about the livery designed by Edmund Hutt is how it symbolizes Northern Pacific's Alaska's home. That's, CEO That's not Robert the McKinney. most important part of the livery. The most important no, part no, no, of the don't, livery. No, 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 don't, don't, don't say anything because I'm going to get to that <laughs> bit. I'm, I'll get to that bit. Uh, he, uh, McKinney told TBG in an interview, uh, I had really only left the designer with two instructions, he said. One is that I wanted to make sure everyone understood we're an Alaskan company and we're about Alaska and to care about Alaska. And the other thing was that he wanted it to be cool, edgy, and he wanted to be one of the airplanes that when it taxis by, everyone goes, oh, uh, they're going to say something other than that, I bet you. Uh, Northern Pacific aims to be the Icelandic air of the Pacific, selling stopovers in Anchorage as the airline brings travelers between the US and Asia. It plans low-cost carrier model uh, that it expects to launch in the third quarter, uh, third, fourth quarter of 2022, McKinney said. The airline is eyeing five destinations in the lower 48 states, uh, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Las Vegas, New York, and Orlando. In Asia, uh, Northern Pacific hopes to operate to Tokyo, Seoul, Nagoya, and Osaka. Uh, given that Japan and Korea are still closed to tourism, McKinney said his plans are fluid. Uh, the first of nine aircraft that Northern Pacific have acquired, uh, registration November 627 November Papa, began its life in 1995 with US Air. Uh, the aircraft remained in service with US Air, which later became US Airways, and then merged with American Airlines. And it remained in service until American retired its fleet of 75s in the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. The aircraft features the full fuel-saving winglets and Rolls-Royce RB211 fighter jet engines which they are uh, beyond the nine already secured mckinney acquire, hopes to acquire another three 757s for the airline's launch uh, the airline is targeting capacity of around 180 seats on its 757s in a it'll feature a three cabin layout with 12 first class seats as well as premium economy and economy class and McKinney is currently CEO of RAV, RAVN, Alaska, an airline purchased out of bankruptcy in 2020. Uh, Raven, or RAVN, operates Raven. regional turboprop. Raven? 
Oh, yeah, Raven. Uh, it operates regional turboprop flights around Alaska and is being pre- uh, used as a platform to launch North Pacific. Each carrier will operate its own brand under the same operating certificate. And the airline plans to use Raven's cryptocurrency-based loyalty program called Flycoin. Interesting. And assume its interline agreements, most notably Ra- uh, Raven, currently operates partners uh, with or currently partners with Alaska Airlines. Uh, a, a potential obstacle to Northern Pacific's launch is the ongoing pilot shortage. Uh, McKinney said he plans to target uh, pilots who are forced into early retirement due to COVID-19. Eventually, McKinney says he hopes to vertically uh, uh, integrate the pilot pipeline between Raven, Northern Pacific and Float Shuttle, another one of his aviation ventures. So you'll have from the right seat of a Cessna Caravan to the left seat of a Boeing going international, a one-stop shop for your whole career, and we'll be kind of our own pilot mill. McKinney himself is a licensed pilot. He has a love for the 757, don't we all, apart from Matt, and he hopes to one day get a type rating that allows him to fly the jet. He said it will be sad if I end up going to my grave and don't have a 757 type rating, and he ran a 757-based airline, he said. And uh, as Al was about to say, and I bet you this is what you're going to say, Al, why the heck would you paint a 757 and put an Airbus-style Zorro mask around the flight deck windows like the A350 has? (laughs) Because you want it to look like a 350. That's what you wanted. You went into the toy shop. You wanted an A350. (laughs) You put your... Money on the desk, and they went, well, you can have an old 757 if you want. He went, no, 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 I want a 350. Please, please, mummy, can I have a 350? <laughs> no, you can have a 757. Right. And that's well, what you've got. No, no, he went in the shop and he said, can I have an extremely powerful single-aisled aircraft, which that is... drinks stood- fuel faster than a Moscow <laughs> vodka-consuming animal. <laughs> I, I just... I just think that they've just gone wrong with that whole part of the livery. The livery itself on the back end of the well, aircraft looks fantastic. The other thing fantastic. that gets me is it's going to be a low-cost airline with three-class cabin. Yeah, that's uh, good, yeah. good point. <laughs> How does that work? Because that's one that's not really been proven, and I'm not sure that necessarily it's a good idea. You can have... I mean, obviously, JetBlue are doing their mint cabin, but uh, that's transatlantic. So, you know, you've got uh, a, a, an oldish 757 that's going to be very thirsty on the old fuel. And you've only got, was it 180 seats? Uh, 180 seats, yeah. Yeah. Whereas normally you can get 235 seats into a 757 in single class. Um, and what you need in low cost model is bums on seats. Um, because mm. all that fresh air around your knees doesn't earn you anything if there's no one there <laughs> paying for it. Actually, I'm, I'm, I need to need to go and uh, meet up with uh, Airliners Live because he's got the the perfect um, answer here that he would rather have a 757 over an A350. Forget economics. We want power. Right. Totally agree with you there. Yeah, I yeah, say the, that, the, the bean counters aren't going to agree with that one, are they? <laughs> yeah. When I, a number of years ago, went to, I think it was, I think it was Avis, but it might have been Hertz to pick up my hire car in the United States. And they said, look, the, the model of car that you've, you've booked, we haven't got, but we've, we've got something that you're going to really, really enjoy. 
And I went, okay, great, what is it? He went, it's a Ford Mustang. He said, it's all about the power. And in the week that I had it, bits fell off it, left, right, and (laughs) centre. Oh, dear. (laughs) Because it's also about the quality. Right. (laughs) Okay, anyway. And the reliability. Right, anyway, before we get sued, we should probably move on to the next story. That's with yeah. me. Uh, the FA- There's nothing wrong with the 757. <laughs> it's just it's just old, and it's, it's going to be expensive for them to operate. The cost of oil is going through the roof, <laughs> yeah. and they're going to operate a three-class cabin. I wish them well. I genuinely hope that they are a huge success, but they, they've got a, a hill to climb that's going to go very steep and turn into a mountain. I bet. I bet. Okay, (laughs) next story. Uh, The FAA rejects FedEx proposal to install missile defence system on Airbus planes. Now, this fills me, as a nervous passenger, with slight fear, I'll be honest. It's on the NewYorkPost.com website. Uh, The Federal Aviation Administration said on Tuesday it was withdrawing proposed conditions that could have allowed delivery company FedEx to install a laser-based missile defence on jet maker Airbus A321-200 airplanes. The FAA said Tuesday it had determined that further internal study is necessary. The FAA said to avoid confusion, a comment period on a proposal that the agency is not moving forward at this time. The FAA is withdrawing the notice. Uh, FedEx did not comment Tuesday and the FAA declined to comment beyond the withdrawal. The FAA said on Friday it was proposing conditions and uh, opening the proposal for public comment in october 2019 fedex applied for approval to use a feature that emits infrared laser energy outside the aircraft as a countermeasure against heat seeking missiles um Wow. For decades, uh, the airline industry and several governments have been uh, grappling with the threat to airliners from shoulder-fired missiles known as Man Portable Air Defence Systems or Man Pads, uh, as they are shortened uh, down to. Some use infrared systems to target an aircraft's engines. The FedEx Missile Defence System directs infrared laser energy towards an incoming missile in an effort to interrupt the missile's tracking of the aircraft's heat the faa then said Uh, according to the uh, u.s state department more than 40 civil airplanes have been hit by manpad since the 1970s in november 2002 the missiles narrowly missed uh an archaea israeli uh, israeli airlines boeing 757 passengers the poor 757 can't get a break can it today uh passenger jet on takeoff from mombasa airport well it did and efforts to combat the threat were accelerated. In 2003, an Airbus A300 freighter flown by DHL was damaged by man pads and forced to make an emergency landing in Baghdad. In 2007 and 2008, FedEx, known more for its package delivery service, took part in a US government trial of anti-missile technology for civil planes by installing Northrop Grumman's Guardian Countermeasures system on some commercial cargo flights while BAE Systems said it had installed its jet eye system on an American Airlines plane I mean 
this is i mean i know we're talking about free yeah we're sne- sneaking military into the commercial here so apologies for that al but uh the, <laughs> there's this i mean i know this is sort of like predominantly aimed at um uh, sort of freighters and stuff but uh, i must admit this does make me I, I i guess perhaps i just choose not to think about it um but this does make me <laughs> this makes me feel a little uneasy uh, there certainly. are certain parts of the world that um these are a, a real issue, so mm. I, I can see why there's a consideration for their installation. Um, I don't know. Is it is it a selling point, you know, for for an airline to say, well, you know, we've got anti missile technology on board? It's an interesting one. Um, El Al, the Israeli airline, have uh, have over many many years had various pieces of technology on board their aircraft that are let's shall we say not standard fitment mm-hmm. whether they have anti-missile technology I, I couldn't comment that's not me being um evasive i simply don't know and there wouldn't be that many people who would know um but you know the the threat of surface to air missiles towards civilian aircraft it's out there um it has happened as you've already explained um will it happen in the future yes is it going to stop me flying no um is there a, a way that we could stop it happening that would be a good idea well certainly worth looking at isn't it mm. i was interested that we managed to merge uh, medical issues into that last story as well with <laughs> man pads um I, I get mine from amazon <laughs> anyway, i see what you did there uh <laughs> Anyway, moving on to the next story. And uh, Nev, uh, we're, t- we're talking e-, e VTOL. Yeah, this is an interesting story. I mean, they're all interesting, but this one is particularly interesting, I think, uh, this week. Uh, Jetson, a Swedish startup company, by the way, this is on the flyingmag.com website. Um, they said on Thursday that after it began pre order sales of its Jetson 1 personal electric vertical takeoff and landing eVTOL aircraft last year it sold out its entire 2022 production another 100 units have already been sold for 2023 delivery with more than 3,000 pre-orders for next year Jetson 1 made waves in 2021 when it publicly revealed its build your own recreational eVTOL the Jetson 1 uh, sets itself apart from most eVTOLs as a single rider recreational aircraft weighing in at just 190 pounds. Equipped with Tesla battery cells, the aircraft has a maximum flight time of 20 minutes and a top speed of 63 miles per hour. Currently, it's available for $92,000 with a $22,000 deposit. Jetson designed its eVTOL to be easy to fly with no need for a pilot certificate. The aircraft will be classified as an ultralight vehicle that does not require any certifications. We have a big challenge ahead of us to finalise production-ready Jetson 1 and to prepare it for mass production in 2023, says Peter Turnstorm, who's the co-founder and president of Jetson. Uh, on Thursday in a statement. This is an incredibly exciting time for us and the eVTOL industry. The company on Thursday also announced the addition of Ricard Stiber as a senior advisor to expand investing for its eVTOL aircraft. Stiber, who's CEO of Good Trust, Crust, Good Trust, sorry, previously pioneered investing with the Drone Racing League and Enride, uh, autonomous electric trucks 
He's uh, also an upcoming paying passenger of Richard Branson's Virgin Galactic space plane. With Jetson 1, the dream of flying now becomes a reality, Stiber says. Everyone can now become a pilot. Looking ahead, the company said on Thursday that it's committed to recruiting significantly and begins its first round of external fundraising. The company has not disclosed how much has been invested so far and by whom. Now, I have a problem with this kind of uh, flying, I'm afraid. Uh, flying that does not require certification. It is a worry, isn't it? I, I, <laughs> I'm thinking of the people that have passed their driving tests. Yeah. As I mix it with them on the M40, M6 <laughs> and other uh, 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 on the roads generally. Yeah. Well, I don't how, know if anybody on... saw that there was a video that was uh, taken, I think, by a police car in the UK of uh, one of those electric scooters, and it was on a UK motorway. It was doing something like 50 miles an hour. What? <laughs> and if you've ever driven around any of our sort of larger cities these days, I was driving around Liverpool not so long back. These e-scooters are everywhere. And, of course, mm. nobody has got any common Clue. sense yeah. or road sense. <laughs> so if you extrapolate this out to these, you know, electric recreational vehicles that can fly for 20 minutes, chaos and carnage is going to be the byline for these. I can fear it now. Yeah, I, I, I think I agree with you. This is, this is I mean... Th- on the good side, there'll be plenty of us to talk uh, stories for us to talk. Well, about that's when true. Things start banging <laughs> into each other and, and buildings, won't it? So, this is the yeah. thing. It's like okay, I mean, like, uh, and, and I, let, let's use us as an example, okay? Nev, if you fancied like you'd have a go because you've done lots of sim flying and all that kind of thing, I, I would be less nervous about you doing it. Carlos, you know, you've made a good start with your PPL and all that kind of thing, progressing hopefully one day to carry on, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know. You've you've had some training. Al, obviously, you know, legend that is, you know, could fly anything. I'd probably crash the thing. Right. I'd be overconfident. <laughs> <laughs> Me, on the other hand, who hasn't got a Scooby-Doo. People are already having trouble parking their car, says Captain Cruz, by the way. Imagine this on the supermarket car, car parking lot. Good point. Good point, my, well made. And that's kind of the point I'm, I'm making, actually, is like I've got no concept of flying if you see what i mean i'm a nervous passenger so you know the idea of me just getting into this thing without some form of, there sh- i'm sorry I, there should at least be like there is with a car a driving test of some or a flying test i appreciate it doesn't necessarily need to be quite so rigorous perhaps as what you guys have to go through to get in you know to to take paying passengers but then i suppose you could argue my coach license you know i've done an extra level of professional driving to be able to take passengers i guess it's a you know it's a loosely based link version to obviously what you've done uh al but um i just i don't know it, I, the, the, in the i can't imagine in the uk this would ever be allowed without some for bearing in mind we even have to have a license now to fly a drone um you know that well surely indeed, i mean what if one of these smashes into a school playground it's going to cause as you know as much damage as yeah. You know, as as many other things in this category. So, um, and all it means, it'll be exactly the same as e-scooters. You'll just be able to, you know, all right, it's going to be more expensive, quite clearly, but you'll just be able to buy one, get in it, and off you go. Yeah. There's nothing to stop me going out tomorrow and buying an e-scooter. No. Um, you know, yeah, it's it's illegal to take it out on on the road, but you know, 
you know, people aren't getting routinely prosecuted for this. You know, a few e-scooters have been confiscated. But, you know, when we get to the ridiculous levels that we see someone doing 50 miles an hour on a motorway on an e-scooter, we've got to start to look at this. And, you know, it's, it's down to our legislators now to look at this and go, right, OK, well, this is a potential, you know, in a couple of years, if that, we need to, you know, say, well, no, it, it's not happening here. <laughs> Also, uh, in, I notice it being developed in Sweden, a, a big country with uh, not that many people in it. You, but you wouldn't want to be bombing around the Manchester TMA in one, would you? Let's be honest. Not at all. Not at all. Um, you wow. know, the, the, <clears throat> as you say, we've already had to introduce technology into drones to basically disable them near airports. These would be the the drones from reputable companies rather than the the one that you can buy off a you know a. a a sort of online Chinese supermarket, if you were, uh, if you will, excuse me. But, you know, we, none of us like to be overly regulated, but I don't want one of these clowns crashing through my roof, thanks very much, because you're not going to be insured. No, no, that's true. Mm-mm. No, That is true. Yeah, who's going to give you insurance? Seriously. Yeah, you're going to have yeah. your own public liability insurance for... Um, yeah. If it's required, if you know the regulator says that you have to have it. I mean, the only reason a lot of people have car insurance in the UK is because you're legally required yeah, to. True. I yeah. have no doubt that if it wasn't a legal requirement, a lot of people wouldn't bother. No, that's true. Just go back to the John, just go back to those comments that you were popping up there on the uh, on the screen there. The airliners one says the issue is with this type of techno the issue is is with this type of technology the minority will act silly and ruin it for the majority of sensible people who may operate it safely. Of course that's life in general I think, isn't it? Ray Davis is saying plumbing, you have a very good morning, good evening, good night, half past silly o'clock, Ray. Uh, <laughs> everyone knows that common sense means <laughs> that it's common that there is no sense fair <laughs> point i like that yeah. <laughs> oh dear and neil lamwell said it won't be long before someone flies one round an airport to get some form of good pictures ain't that the truth this is uh this is the thing and i presume that's obviously what sort of triggered all the things with the the drones and the airports is because some idiots suddenly were trying to take photographs of these amazing beasts take landing and taking off wasn't it this is Ah, minority spoiling it for the majority, as always. As always. So, Al, you've got the last story, and uh, it's another kind of Airbus story. I have indeed. This one also comes from flyingmag.com, the headline being Carolina's Aviation Museum to be renamed to honour Captain Sully. Charlotte's Carolina's Aviation Museum will reopen its doors in 2023 with a new name honouring Captain Chesley Burnett, Sully, Sullenberger III, the museum announced. Wow. Sullenberger, indeed, I, I thought that as well. <laughs> the, the, the bit that really got me is that he's the third, so he's the yeah. third of That's... the he's, anyway, to have that name. Anyway, I digress. Sullenberger became a household name in January 2009. Goodness, it's quite a long time ago now, isn't it? Yeah. When he and First Officer Jeffrey Skiles safely landed, and I've met Jeff, by the way, he's a lovely guy, uh, safely landed US Airways Flight 1549 and Airbus A320-200 in the Hudson River in New York City with 155 passengers and crew on board after a bird strike caused catastrophic engine failures shortly after takeoff. 
Uh, Jeff got his command a few years ago, so uh, he's now a captain also. Uh, Last week, the Smithsonian Affiliate Museum announced it will feature a permanent exhibit honouring Sullenberger and crew of the flight that includes the Miracle on the Hudson aircraft and the recovered engines. The museum's new name is expected to be formally announced before the end of 2022, a museum spokesman told Flying. I'm guessing it's not going to be Sully's whole name because that's going to need to be a big billboard. According to a museum spokesperson, personal stories from passengers and crew from Flight 1549 will be the centrepiece. The museum, which will be located at the site of the Charlotte Douglas International Airport, historic WPA Douglas Airport hangar, will also feature a new main gallery, visitor centre, plaza and dozens of aircraft and interactive cockpits. You might have heard me emphasise craft. The uh, the script actually says aircrafts. You can't have sheeps, so you can't have <laughs> aircrafts. Fair enough. Uh, I know. Yeah. Um, flight simulators and historic artefacts. Uh, don't don't worry, John. I'm not criticising you. I suspect that that is directly what it says in the article. <laughs> worry not. It's one of my pet hates. Many things wind me up, but aircrafts is one of them. Right. <laughs> uh, mental note, everyone. Just make sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same as people who say sheeps. Right. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yep. Uh, Rick Elias, Flight 1549 crash survivor and CEO of Charlotte-based Red Ventures personally donated $1 million, sorry, $1 million excuse me, in Sullenberger's honour towards the museum's reopening alongside a $500,000 donation from Lonely Planet, a Red Ventures brand. Now, I didn't know that the guy behind the Lonely Planet books was actually on board that flight, so you learn something every day. When I went to New Zealand, I did that with Lonely Planet. There we go. I am forever indebted to Captain Sully and the crew of US Airways Flight 1549 for my second chance at life, and for 13 years I've been determined to find a way to honour them, Elias said. Heroes are made long before the day they are called into action. This museum will serve as an enduring tribute to the preparation, courage and dedication of the captain and the entire crew. With Elias's donation, the museum's lift-off campaign has raised more than $11 million towards a $25 million goal, according to the museum officials. On behalf of the crew and the passengers of Flight 1549 and the rescuers and the first responders, I am honoured to have my name associated with this event that we all shared, Sullenberger told Flying on Monday. I send my thanks to Flight 1549 passenger Rick Elias and all who led this effort to ensure the future of the Flight 1549 exhibit and the museum. I'm very glad that the Flight 1549 aircraft and other artefacts from the event are preserved for all to see. Uh, Last Saturday marked the 13th anniversary of Flight 1549. Is it really 13 years ago? We're all getting old, aren't we? Yes, yes, we are. (laughs) Oh, wow. 
that that is still going to be one of those one of those things, isn't it? That is just so. Um, we went we went to the cinema and saw the film, and it came out. Did we we did, didn't we? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I assume we're going to go and see Top Gun two if they ever release it. Oh God! If they ever <laughs> release it, we'll go and see it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was just looking at it and thinking. Yeah. Oh, sorry. John's just saying something in our in our ears uh, from Captain Cruise. Is he's got a comment in the chat room? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I can't see it. Hang on. Uh, apparently, there's a comment Captain Cruz has made. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Somebody else will have to rule on that one. I don't know. <laughs> well, moving swiftly on, I was just looking at the timing. Maybe uh, Plain Talking UK 500 could come from the uh, Captain Salim Burger Museum. I mean, I'm up for it. <laughs> We'll, we'll start saving. Yeah, I can say we'll need to save now, won't we? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, for the five hundred, we ought to do something stu- silly, silly, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely, silly, silly <laughs> special. Uh, no, 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 no. Have you seen the airplane? Have you seen airplane yet, Matt? You've got. You've oh got... yes, have you watched the film Airplane yet? No, I've, 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 I've got I've, to be word perfect by the four hundred. Apparently, I've got. Oh, have I? Um, <laughs> I have got them on hard drive. I'm going to give them to right. Matt on a pen drive. Okay. Watch. Are you? Right. Okay, yeah. fair enough. All right. Isn't that technically illegal? Oh, I mean, I'm going <laughs> to give the DVDs that I've got downstairs <laughs> to Matt to watch. I thought that's what you meant. Yes. Right. That's what I said. Lovely. Okay. Um, <laughs> anyway, that I've, brings I've, the I've, commercial I've... news to a close. <laughs> Oh dear! Maybe forever. Maybe yeah. forever. Yeah. yeah. From now on, we, we, yeah. we might. We might. <laughs> so close to the four hundredth as well. I Carlos, know. what have you done? We've done so well, <laughs> so well. Um, but uh, um, very uh, uh, much to the appreciation and happiness and joy of Captain Al and uh, Nev, we have got uh, some military news. Oh, okay. I'd spun it out long enough to be able to get rid of that. <laughs> You've done quite well. Unfortunately, very short stories were given to us by uh, by uh, Armando. Very so, short. I'm oh, just looking at I'm just oh, looking they, at the show right. notes here. And it's like it's like Shh, four thousand words. Don't tell him. Shush. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, up we go Oh dear, sorry. We're just laughing at a comment that's just come in the chat room. Oh, miles high. That is fantastic. And anyway, <laughs> the first God, no is the answer. <laughs> Honestly, and this this is why people, if you are listening to this as an audio audio only podcast, you need to join Help. us in the YouTube chat room on a Friday night because you miss out <sighs> on what is a fantastic chat room. And the first mm. news story on the military segment for this week comes to us from the Washington. Well, there actually is really military stuff. <laughs> I was... it was all just a, a ruse to wind me this up. This week. <laughs> and Jonathan Warner is quite right of what he says in the chat room. Anyway, uh, the headline, uh, Charles McGee, Tuskegee Airman, who fought three wars, is, uh, died, sadly, at 102 years old. My word. Uh, more than four decades after he retired from the military, he received an honorary promotion to Brigadier General. Charles E. McGee, a retired Air Force Brigadier General who flew combat missions in three wars and broke racial barriers as a Tuskegee Airman, serving in an all-black unit during World War II and helping inspire the next generation of aviators with his fortitude and courage, died on January the 16th at his home in Berthida, 
and uh, he was 102 years old. Uh, the cause is not yet known, but he had been recovering from a brief hospitalisation, said his daughter, Charlene McGee-Smith. His death was also announced on Twitter by Defence Secretary Lloyd Austin and Vice President Harris, who both called him an American hero. Uh, General McGee was one of the last surviving Tuskegee Airmen who overcame racism and oppression to fly World War II combat missions at a time when the armed forces were still segregated and some officers questioned whether um, African-Americans had the skill, intelligence and courage to become military pilots. He said that once we'd proved we could fly, he said, Uh, that uh, they said we'd have all the guts to fight in combat, he said in a 1989 interview with the Washington Post. He said, but our record, and he added, Riley speaks for itself. Uh, Relatively few Allied bombers were lost on their watch, and Tuskegee Airmen were credited with destroying more than 250 enemy aircraft, including a German fighter that General McGee shot down while escorting B-17s over Czechoslovakia. Over a 30-year career in the Army Air Forces and its successor, the Air Force, General McGee logged 6,308 flying hours and a remarkable 409 combat missions, among the most in-service history. He flew bombing missions and strafing missions out of the Persian during the Korean War and piloted a photographic reconnaissance plane near Saigon during the Vietnam War, going on at least 100 combat missions in both conflicts. And in each war, his plane was hit by enemy fire, both times on the right wing. Uh, Although he retired in 1973 as a colonel, he celebrated his 100th birthday with an honorary promotion, with President Donald Trump pinning the general star on his uniform at a White House ceremony in 2020. He was cheered by joint sessions of Congress at Trump's State of the Union address a few hours later. And that same year, he joined three other centurion veterans in uh, presenting the coin toss at the Super Bowl. Uh, folks say you're a hero he said i don't see it like that general mcgee said in 2018 when he celebrated his 99th birthday by piloting a private honda jet between dallas international airport and the hampton roads region in virginia he said i just say life is a blessing he applied to the tuskegee program and was accepted as a pilot and he got his flight school orders in october 1942 two days after he married a college classmate francis nelson he later christened his p-51 fighter kitten after a nickname for his wife and also became his crew chief kept engine powering like a kitten as he put it general mcgee headed south to tuskegee army airfield in alabama but was puzzled at having to change his seat when the train crossed the uh, Mason-Dixon line. He arrived at a flight school that was in the heart of the Jim Crow South, and he relied on fellow aviators for guidance. Other cadets who grew up in the South let us know what it was safe to do and what not to do, he recalled. More than 900 black pilots trained at Tuskegee and more than 400 served overseas, piloting aircraft that were easily identifiable by the red paint on their tails. Pilots became symbols of black excellence at a time when many African-Americans were wagging a double victory campaign, fighting uh, for freedom over Axis powers overseas from racism at home. General McGee arrived in Italy in 1944 as a member of the 332nd Fighter Group and flew more than 130 patrol, escort and strafing missions, piloting the P-39 Aero Cobras. 
P-47 Thunderbolts and P-51 Mustangs. After President Harry S. Truman issued a 1948 executive order banning racial segregation in the military, General McGee held several command posts, becoming the first African-American to oversee a stateside Air Force wing and base in the integrated Air Force. His military decorations included the Legion of Merit, Distinguished Flying Cross, Bronze Star Medal and Air Medal. He later said he had considered leaving the military after World War II, but decided uh, uh, that the airlines weren't ready for black pilots. And uh, yeah, it's a good story. Very good story indeed. And um, thanks for sending that one in as well. Quite a, yeah, quite, quite a career, isn't it? What a bloke, mm. I think Richard Adams was saying in the chat room. Truly amazing. Very inspiring. So moving on to the next story, Nev, and uh, this one is all about the KC-46. Well, every time I read something about the KC-46, I think, oh, great, everything's fixed and it's all, all working nice. <laughs> no. Not quite, not, not quite. Uh, it's on the airforcemag.com. Uh, and it says that despite all of its troubles in the past few years, the Air Force has cleared the KC-46 Pegasus tanker to airily refuel five more types of aircraft, giving it capability with nearly 70% of all aircraft that request air tanking, Air Mo- Mobility Command announced. The new aircraft certified for the C-46... Uh, include the AC-130J Ghost Rider, KC-130J Combat King, MC-130 Commando 2, C-5M Super Galaxy and E-3G Sentry. In addition, we are putting the Pegasus against our highest priority missions, such as presidential support, said Lieutenant Colonel Kevin White, AMC's Deputy Chief of the Aircraft and Logistics Requirement Division and the KC-46 Cross-Functional Team Lead. The announcement marks the fourth interim capability release for the KC-46 since July, when it was cleared to refuel aircraft using its centerline drogue system. Since then, three groups of aircraft have been added, including the uh, using the boom-type refuelling system. Uh, these include the B-52, C-17, other KC-46As in August, and the F-15 and F-16 in October. The interim capability releases are not proceeding according to a preset schedule, but rather as an incremental confidence measure, uh, AMC said. Uh, these allow the AMC commander and other senior leaders to quantitatively and quantitatively quantitatively that's right yes assess achievements uh, the command said uh, the kc-46 is operating under restrictions due to deficiencies in its remote vision system which allows sorry, the boom to, sorry to interrupt um who, who builds this the kc-46 ah uh, yes That'll be the uh, the Boeing company. Okay, yeah, just wanted to check. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <clears throat> See what we did there. Couldn't make it up. Uh, but yes, and of course, uh, the air. Well, um, I was just saying that the. The KC-46 is operating under restrictions because of deficiencies in its remote vision system, which allows the boom operator, just located behind the cockpit, to remotely refuel aircraft at the back of the aircraft. 
Does that make sense? Yes. Both the KC135 and KC10 allowed direct viewing through Windows. The Air Force and Boeing are working to integrate an upgraded RVS that eliminates problems with lighting under certain conditions. Uh, Despite these and other deficiencies, the KC46A continues to demonstrate its growing operational capabilities, AMC said. Uh, Crews will continue to fly training, exercise and demonstration missions until all operational confidence measures are met. Obviously, that's some way off i would imagine uh, the air force has said that the kc-46a can be pressed into service for all types of receiver aircraft in a wartime crisis amc reported that the pegasus had completed over six thousand missions offloading over 37.8 million pounds of fuel and making 28,000 boom and 1,900 drogue contacts since uh, january 2019 I have a feeling we're going to come back to this story. <laughs> yeah, like we have it's done after. Yet, no, no, I don't think we're at the end of the story here, are we? <laughs> yeah, well, anyway. Luckily, I'm not in the business of design yet. No, no, indeed, yeah, absolutely. Uh, right, okay, now the next bit I'm super excited about here uh, because I believe the next story is with Al. <laughs> oh, right, okay, so I've got a military story. Um, it just says, uh, drop this if there's no time. Okay, no, well, it doesn't. Uh, no, there's plenty of time. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's gone. It's uh, gone. Well, we'll, we'll cover it. Okay, so um, basically, um, this is the story about the F-35. So a recent incident of South Korea's F-35A fighter jet. Now, guys, who's the military expert on the team here? Is Is that the... Is that the like the vertical one? Is that the army one, the air force one, or the navy one? I'm not quite sure. Maybe they don't know either. That might be the problem. Let's find out. <laughs> which was forced to make a belly landing earlier this month, um, which was caused to a bird strike on its left engine. Right. Okay. Um, and it was announced by the South Korean Air Force after conducting a preliminary joint probe with the U.S. <laughs> Okay, well, maybe the bird was stuck on this preliminary joint probe. That might have been the problem anyway. Um, A follow-up inquiry into the actual cause of the mishap. Oh, now that's interesting, because if it's a bird strike, you wouldn't really call it a mishap. But if you land it with the wheels up, well, that might be described as a mishap. So is it a mishap cover-up? Who knows? Anyway, maybe we'll find out. The Air Force also stated that a team of U.S. experts will visit South Korea to conduct a thorough investigation into the tactical elements of the incident. Well, tactically, if you put the wheels down, it's not a belly-up landing. That solves that, and I'm not a US <laughs> expert. Anyway, maybe these know, people know more than that, including why the plane's aviation electronic system and landing gear failed. Okay, well, maybe there's more to this. Maybe, maybe the handle broke off in the man's hand. We will <laughs> never know. Um, the Air Force further requested that the local media avoid reporting speculation-driven stories. Well, I hate to break it to you, but when you crash an aeroplane, people will speculate. That's the nature of the media. Um, and not to speculate on the cause of the belly landing presumably due to the sensitivity of the situation. Yes, if you crash a multi-million pound (laughs) aeroplane that is top secret and very sensitive, people might notice. Um, (laughs) Several other countries operate the sophisticated stealth aircraft model. Well, when it's strewn on a runway with the wheels still in the bay, it's not that stealthy, is it? Anyway, 
as uh, Eurasian Times previously reported, a South Korean F-35 pilot was forced to perform a belly landing during a training exercise owing to a malfunction in the aircraft's avionics system on the 4th of January. This is the latest in a string of mishaps for the stealth aircraft after a British F-35 tumbled into the sea following a failed takeoff from HMS Queen Elizabeth in the Mediterranean last year. So it's kind of, you know, crash one, ditch one, fly one, you know, or dunk one as well, possibly. Anyway, (laughs) South Korea has ordered 40 more F-35As for its Air Force under a 6.4 billion US dollar contract announced in 2014. The South Korean Air Force 17th Fighter Wing operates the F-35 out of Chingi Air Base uh, in 2019, an F-35 fighter jet assigned to the Japanese-based Marine Fighter Attack Squadron 121 collided with a bird during takeoff. Um, although the details of the damage were not revealed, military authorities categorized the collision as Class A, meaning the F-35B jet suffered at least two million pounds, sorry, two million dollars in damages. In 2018, a similar event occurred with an F-35A, although no damage was reported. According to the Department of Defense's partners in flight program, which aims to protect migratory and resident birds on Department of Defense lands, the Air Force, the Navy, the Marine Corps record up to 3,000 bird strikes every year, which it refers to as bird stroke wildlife Aircraft Strike Hazards, or BASH. (laughs) That's what Nev says, anyway. Hence the term (laughs) bashing one out. Well, I'm guessing that's not an official statement. The majority (laughs) of these impacts cause little damage to the aircraft or injuries to the crew, but a small number of significant damage causes a small amount of damage. There there goes the iTunes rating for this week. Uh, uh, Al, a comment from Mark on the WhatsApp number is saying, I think Captain Al would have made a top fighter pilot. Very cool in a crisis. There you go. Yeah, and I I think Nev's... Sorry, excuse me. I've, I've... Demigrated your good character there. I think Carlos's ability to edit the script as I read it must be applauded. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 not 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 me. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, well, World War Three is about to break out. I, I think. Should we move? On? <laughs> well, no, we I mean, we can't because you know we've got one F thirty five that's at the bottom of the Mediterranean, one belly up. I mean, what are we going to do? Go and you know see if we can find some Spitfires somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, we'll move on. Well, on funnily the, enough, yeah, funnily good segue on, there. On the, uh, on the subject of Spitfires, uh, we'll move on to the last story here. And uh, this is on the warbirdnews.com website. And the headline is Spitfire, evolution of an I- icon, the IWM Duxford unveiling. Uh, so uh, organised by Imperial War Museum Duxford and staged in the museum's airspace hangar, Spitfire evolution of an icon was initially supposed to take place during 2020 but of course the pandemic intervened and forced a delay until the end of 2021 the exhibit now will now run from the 27th of december uh, so already started through to the 20th of february 2022 there you go carlos that's something you can possibly do on sunday arranged Ooh. in the front hall between uh, within the airspace hangar the 12 spitfires on show ranged from the iwm's 
own Airworthy Spitfire Mark 1A through to the Fighter Collection Spitfire Mark 22. Interestingly, the latter airframe, presently unrestored, is normally tucked away out of public view in the Duxford's Hangar 2. So it was a nice opportunity to see this reclusive and rare variant up close for a change. Museum staff were on hand in the hall to provide further information about the aircraft in the exhibit while small activity displays demonstrated different aspects of the Spitfire. Furthermore, a retail area nearby offered various Spitfire-related products. As already uh, in Tim... Uh, as uh as already intimidated uh intimated sorry intimidated that's a very different that's a very different experience uh as already in intimated the uh spitfires participating in the exhibit uh, revealed the different stages in the type's development the uh design evolution was immediately evident across the range of marquees on display from the dainty looking mark one to its 1000 h or horsepower rolls royce merlin i do love the noise of that merlin engine it is something that uh, i often go and pay homage to they've got a beautiful display haven't they just as you go into where concord yeah. is haven't they they've got an absolutely stunning um uh like example of the merlin engine there that i go and pay homage to anyway three bladed propeller and a dot 303 caliber machine gun uh through successive variants with more powerful merlins and beefier ar- armaments up on the f- uh, up uh, to the far more muscular, uh, almost brutish visage of the Griffin-powered examples towards the end of the type's development. Uh, Spitfire evolution of an icon was a triumph and a hearty congratulations much, much, uh, must go to the Imperial War Museum along with its partners for conceiving and executing such a fascinating exhibit. Indeed, the show is provo- proving to be a great success with more than 1,000 visitors passing through on the first day alone and great signs that its popularity will continue providing how uh, proving how beloved the Spitfire is with the British public and not just amongst aviation enthusiasts but rather the greater community at large let's hope that this will encourage the Imperial War Museum to stage similar exhibitions over the coming uh, 2022-2023 Christmas and New Year period with a possible subject featuring Hawker aircraft since so many examples from the 1930s era biplanes through to the jump jets of the 1990s are all on hand at Duxford I mean we love that museum don't we there's no two ways about it it's a fantastic place uh and um oh, we've had we've had, we've had several very nice meetups there we um, have and I think when Great I museum to... rubbish catering uh, yes out. agreed yeah no. <laughs> Jonathan Warner says he's been looking for an excuse to go to Duxford again let me know when you're going Mr Warner I'll come join you uh, yeah yeah I'm getting I'm getting free now oh uh, oh yes Ooh. of course because you 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 got a pass oh, you're Christmas, an old age pensioner yeah, yeah. That, that'll be well really that nice. as well yeah, yeah. yeah. no I, I got a very good Christmas present, actually. That was very nice. Mm. Indeed. Absolutely. Anyway, uh, uh, Carlos, we are rapidly running out of time. We are. So (laughs) that is the news for this week. (laughs) I know. How would this ever happen without on the show? Anyway, social media links I'll do. 
just because I was going to say get Al to do the social media links, but it's probably not a good idea. So uh, <laughs> social media links, <laughs> Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, search for Plain Talking UK. The WhatsApp number, if you want to send us a picture at 3.30 in the morning, you can. It's plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six, And that all-important podcast email address to send us your feedback to is podcast at plain talking uk.com we'd love to hear your feedback love to hear from you and the website all the w's dot plain talking uk.com is our website there you'll find links to patreon if you want to become a patron of the show this is the website recently i have yes it's lovely it's broken oh is it Yes. Okay, Matt will fix that right right, right now. Uh, so take yourselves over to our oh. fixed website, which will be up and running in just about 30 seconds' time, right. where you'll find links to Patreon if you want to become a patron of the show, and there's some great videos that have been uploaded to Patreon uh, people so far, and PayPal as well. Uh, if you are a PayPal donator, you will also get access to those videos that don't get shown on the main show, so it's a little treat for everyone out there. Also on the website, you'll find links to Amazon and also to our shop where you can purchase yourself a mug and a t-shirt as well (laughs) so that is it for this special 5g episode featuring captain al so uh everyone uh, thank you for all your hard work this evening especially you captain al thanks for coming on the show and being a fantastic guest as always al you're most welcome. 20 seconds. <laughs> so that's it from me, Carlos, here in my home studio, from Matt in the PTUK Master Suite Studios, from the awesome Nev across in his sprawling Ten. mansion studios. And big thanks to John as well. And Armando, take Bye. care, everyone. Have a great weekend. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Ciao for now. Bye.